You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. I, uh, we've been at school, we've been going through love languages right now, uh, which is fun. Uh, our second year students have done like um, strength finders and now love languages. Our first year students are doing love languages. We're kind of like finding out a lot about ourselves, finding out a lot about other people. Um, you know, talking through all of that stuff. It's been really fun. Uh, and then remembering ways like, you know, if so if you don't know what the, lo- eh, okay, let me, let me do this. If you don't know what love languages are, love languages, it's one of those assessments, just like any other one, the DISC test and all those, but it focuses on the way that you receive love best. So you can actually go on, the, the little assessment is free, you can go look up love languages assessment and you can fill it out and it will, it will ask you questions determine how you receive love, and the funny thing is uh, how you receive love is usually how you expect everybody else to receive love, so that's how you give it, and so it kind of talks about, you know, like, just, so the five love languages are this, touch, affirmation, so words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, so like people doing things for you, or gifts, right, Um, gifts, gifts, not gifts, um, (laughs) I receive love through people sending me gifts on my phone. (laughs) That actually is the sixth love language, followed by sarcasm and uh, other things like that. But we'll focus on the top five. So these five love languages, we've been talking about them a lot. Um, We... I, I had a great idea in my mind, each one of my family's uh, love languages, Lacey and Oren and Jenna and Judah and Ava, um, great idea in my mind what their love languages were, but then we get the test back and I'm like, oh dear Lord, I have been affirming Oren his whole life because I thought it was his number one, and it's his number five. <laughs> Yeah, so I felt about that big as a dad. I'm like, wow, okay. But I should have known acts of service because every time he's at anyone's house, he does their dishes. Like, it's pretty awesome, right? I thought it was just because we started him young on the dishes, you know, and so it's like he just felt responsible for it. But apparently it's how he receives love is... Yeah, we went on a... uh, We we went with our school team to the beach, and he just... just, I mean, he'll... It's like basketball, elbows out in the kitchen around the dishes because he wants to be the one that does them. I'm like, oh, man, I should have known that. You know, Judah's was easy because we're both touched, so we're like kind of like yellow labs, you know, like just itch behind our ears and we're happy as as can be. And so we were kind of going through love languages, being more aware of love languages, and the idea of, you know, awareness is just the first step. The next step is intentionality, right? So when you're aware of someone and aware of something about that person, then the responsibility you have, if you're going to have a great relationship with that person, your responsibility is then to meet them in that place, right? So if you know they receive love through affirmation and you want to be close and have a strong relationship with this person, then and you're a touch person, then just constantly touching them is like speaking German and they don't speak German, right? They're like, that's very kind of you, but they're not necessarily receiving love through you constantly petting them, right? <laughs> Whereas I, on the other hand, just need one little pet and I'm good for the week, right? Like, that's maybe not the week. Lacey's like, no, that, that's not true. I don't get that good of gas mileage, I guess. Every, every hour. Just with you, babe. Nobody else. Like, other people, I'm good with one. But, yeah, you, I, I like lots of touch. 
And people laugh at people. If you're not a touch love language person, you laugh at people with touch love languages, right? Or like touch, I'm a touch person, so I laugh at gifts people. And then I found out my daughter-in-law is a gift person. And I was like, oh, that's totally legit. Yeah, that's great. I love you, and so I'm going to find ways to bless you with gifts now. Like, that's so funny. What are you guys talking about up here? I know, there was a full conversation happening. (laughs) I just realized that. No. So anyway, talking through love languages and all of that and our awareness of each other and our intentionality towards each other. And then Lacey and I were talking about today and me speaking, Lacey and I and Matt, and uh, just talking through, like, you know, what does the church need to hear right now? What is the... What is the focus? Because there's a thousand, honestly, there's a thousand things. We, we're not short of, like, topics, right? We could bring one up and we could run with it for a couple of weeks, right? We're not short of topics. And we could talk about current events. I mean, we could talk about a lot of things right now, right? I mean, I could talk about worship all, all morning just because we're about to have a, a massive, massive thing happen tonight with worship, right, with Cody and Julie. And can I reiterate, you need to come to that. Like, you're part of this body, show up. Like, worship, outside of recording, worship is our warfare. Like, worship is, is how we take ground in the spirit. Worship is our connection. Worship aligns us with who we really are and who he really is, right? Like, laying down all of our agenda and all of our needs and all of our prayer requests and just coming before the king and, and just, just pouring out our worship to him first of all, is one of the most important things we can do as Christians. Second of all, when, when family's taking a step in faith and stepping out and doing something, like family supports family, right? And so let's show up and support family tonight. If you're busy, cancel your plans. It's okay. You've done it before. So don't act like this plan is the one you can't cancel, right? Like that person will still probably still be around for the next time you plan, right? Huh? Bring them with you. Say, plans have changed, but you're still part of the plan. Come with me. Then we've got more people in here worshiping Jesus, right, and supporting family. So please do that. Side note. Put that to the side now. Very awesome. So we'll see you all tonight. It has been said. (laughs) Okay. So let's get back to love languages. So we're talking about love languages, and we're talking about what's important, what does the church need to hear uh, this morning. Uh, let Let me read some stuff really quick to you. So, uh, unlike Chris, I don't mind Bible on the phone. He's very against it. What does that mean? Show it my face. <laughs> that was perfect. I just thought that was just so awesome. <laughs> I just, what does that mean? Okay, so I, I'm going to read out of Mark right now, uh, chapter 13, and I want, I, I just want to, so this, I think this, I think this is where a lot of the church is right now, and this is what people want to hear about right now, but I'm not going to talk about it. But I'm just going to bring it up, okay? So you got Mark 13, and I'm going to jump to uh, verse 7. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdoms against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There are but the beginning of birth pains, right? So I'll just throw that out there. Because every time something happens where people get scared in the church, we bring up the end of days. It has happened since the beginning of days. That everyone thinks they're in the end of days, but we've come to find out that no one has yet been in the end of days the way they thought they were in the end of days, right? 
In the 80s, Jesus was coming back, so Christians got credit cards and ran them to their max, knowing we will escape from this debt because he's coming to swoop us up in his magical spaceship, and all my debt will be left for the sinners. You know, like, that was real stuff. Like, people really thought that way. If that was you, I'm not making fun of you. I'm laughing with you, not at you. I promise. Because people taught you that. And people preached that. And people told you, you know, people get ready, Jesus is coming, you know, like, you know what I mean? But nowhere in the Bible does Jesus allude to the fact that that should be our focus. He doesn't talk about, like, you know, the fact that you should know the exact time and day that I'm coming and you should be ready. You should just live ready. Because the Christian lifestyle lives in him and through him, right? And that's ready right there. But he even says, like, no one knows the time or day. I'll come like a thief in the night, right? You're sleeping. You hear a crash. It's Jesus, you know? <laughs> so, but we want to focus on these things so much. We, we find comfort in focusing on these things. I will tell you this, I want to be surprised by him in the end of days because I don't want to live with senioritis. You, you know what senioritis is in school? You reach your senior year, you're a, you're a great student. I mean, I, I know there's some out there. Um, I wasn't one, but I, I hear about these people. You're a great student, and then you get to your senior year, and you just kind of start letting stuff go because one foot's out the door. When you start setting yourself up for escapism, Christianity escapism, one foot will always be out the door and you will let the world burn and go to hell because you get to escape from what's about to happen. And I just cannot, uh, I, I can't make, I can't get Jesus and his plans and that idea to work together in my mind. I just can't see it. I have a really, Scott, I just keep walking past that line. I just can't see it. I can't get them to work together. I try and I try and I try. Well, I don't really. Let's just be honest. I tried. It didn't work. I stopped trying to make those two things work together. Because I just don't think that it's his plan for the church to escape from what is to come. And honestly, like during the Vietnam War, everybody thought it's the end. During world wars, everybody has thought it's the end. We've, we've heard it through everything. The Mayan calendar, everyone thought. the May No one will know the time and day except the Mayans, Jesus said. <laughs> because I'll tell them, right? Their calendar determines Y2K. I remember moshing in a mosh pit in a house next to the hospital in Reading just bouncing off couches and everything in a house party, and someone walked outside as the countdown's going on, main fuse of the house. When we said zero, they went, and we were like, it's true. <laughs> I remember running out into the street and running down the street like, what's happening? Only to realize about six houses down the street that everybody else's lights were on. And we were like, wait. <laughs> walked back to the house, they flipped it back on, and everybody's laughing, right? But it was the end. It's all going crazy. No, you're the only one. Everyone thinks they know what's going on. But at the end of the day, we are not that wise. For good reason. Yeah, thank God, right? 
Do you, yeah, I'm not even going to say that. But anyway. So what do we do? What do we do? Because everybody wants to be prepared, right? Everybody wants to have both feet on the ground and, and be ready. Everybody wants to be in the know. It, it feels comfortable to know what's going on. If some people in here are very adaptable, so I said, hey, if I said, hey, everybody, come on. We're, we're going to go. Just follow me. I'll tell you when we get there. Some of you would be like, right on. Tristan probably would be like, dude, most laid back, chill guy when it comes to that, adaptable. He's just ready to roll. But there's a whole lot of planners in here, and everything inside of you is like, I don't, I can't, this doesn't work for me. I need more information. Well, we feel as if we need all the information with Jesus, and he's given us all the information we need. We just don't like the information that we got. We need more information. We want to be in control. As we say, we're abandoned to him. Abandoned to him. We're, you know, here, Jesus. I am fully giving you the rain. Like Chris said, you know, the, the old Jesus is my co-pilot. The dumbest thing that you could ever say, Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus, I'll lead us, you follow, Jesus. You know, this doesn't work, right? I saw, one, what was the other bumper sticker that followed it? No, Jesus isn't my co-pilot. Like, get out of the car, hand him the keys, pop the trunk, get in the trunk, close the trunk, and then say, Jesus, you're driving, right? Like, so that's kind of more the Christian lifestyle is that, right? And, and, and it's pretty appropriate because in the trunk, you don't know where you're going. You don't get to see where you're going. You can hear. like You're like, I think it's been about 12 miles by the bumps on the road. You're like, we turned right seven times. We're going in circles. And, and isn't that how it feels in Christianity sometimes? We're going in circles. You're like, no, he said he would work everything out. Everything's going to be okay. It's a trust walk. So instead of investing our entire lives in trying to figure everything out, what if we just did what he told us to do? Yeah, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like there's no mathematical equation that you can somehow work out that is going to let you in on the true, like, plans of what heaven is doing. Because his thoughts are so much higher than ours. His wisdom outweighs the capacity of our minds. You understand that, right? Like, do you, we do not have big enough brains in our head, even if we were using 100% of them, to comprehend the vast wisdom of God. He's bigger than anything we could ever think or imagine. He is so far beyond. Plus, we live in time, and he lives outside of it. We live in days, and he lives through eternity. All of eternity is in him. Eternity, no beginning, no end, lives in him. He is the beginning and end of something that's beginning and endless wrap your mind around him, right? Like he lives in it and through it and he's before it. And he, I remember it being explained like God, if God lived on the train of time, he lives at the beginning of the train, the end of the train, and in every car he wants to be in at any time, right? And we just sit in one seat and we're like, well, I think I know what's happening here. <laughs> These are the birth pains because the end of time is, I think April 25th is the day. Luckily, Lacey gets to have her birthday first because it's on the 23rd, and then we'll have a day to, like, recoup, and then Jesus comes and swoops us up in his magic spaceship. 
It's going to be fun. Um, everybody's invited. But I, I just, I think it's a waste of our time and focus. And I think it drains some of the power and authority out of the church that we're supposed to be walking in right now. Like, Chris was right. Like, all of media is owned by five or six massive companies that pump a message to you, and you can choose to listen to it if you want. I just don't, I, you should probably listen to his message. First. I don't think it's the wisest thing for you. <laughs> you are what you eat. You are afraid if you eat fear every day. You're unhealthy if you eat chemicals every day. Right? This is the truth. So what is our stance right now? Because, okay, we know that's all the stuff. We're done talking about that. So what do we do? Do we war? Do we Facebook fight? Do we vote different? Do we, you know what I mean? There's a thousand things we think of, and I'm not going to tell you what you can't do, what you can't do in those things, because that's up to you. But I will tell you some of the things that Jesus talked about. Because what he talked about and what we do so much of the time, and I'm guilty of it, so I'm standing up here yelling in a microphone at myself sitting in that chair. So if you feel like I'm yelling at you, and I'm not yelling at you, I'm yelling at me. Me on a good day is up here, and me on a bad day is sitting in that chair listening to me going, oh, he's right, I should not have done that. Like, I, I, I'll speak this message and then try to drive home and hold on to my salvation as people cut me off, right? <laughs> it's one of my, it's the thorn in my side. <laughs> Right? Okay. It's a thing. If you don't have a problem with it, then you are a bigger person than me. <laughs> Jamie and I were talking. I don't even know where Jamie went. He disappeared. Jamie worshipped and got raptured. There he goes. He's outside. Jamie and I were talking uh, this morning, though. Uh, he's out in the hallway, I guess. And um, he was talking about how uh, he started just putting his phone in the trunk. He works at a grocery store, and so instead of having his phone on him, and during the day, he just puts his phone away. Like, he only uses his phone if he needs his phone. Right. That's, like, well, define need. No. <laughs> What's need? Like, you know, there's a, there's a little uh, picture of Michael Jackson. He looks so sad, and it says, when you go into the bathroom and you forget your phone. <laughs> and I'm like... Uh, I just saw someone, not at this church, but the other day when we were here, walking across, the, they walked right out into traffic across the parking lot like this and never realized that there are, there are real cars driving in the parking lot because they were on their phone. And uh, we, he was talking about, man, you know what I've found by putting my phone in the trunk? I'm so much more aware and I'm so much more available to the people around me. And he said, I see people walk through my store like this. And they, they don't even realize there's other people. Like, and then people drive like that. You know, because you're behind them and you're like, this person's drunk. And you're like, no, they're on Instagram. <laughs> we talked about being so available and so aware of what's going on and aware of the people around them. And I'm like, that is beautiful and that is brilliant. And that's what Jesus is calling us to right now. You don't have to put your phone in a trunk. 
But Jesus is calling us instead of warring on Facebook and warring on this and trying to find the wolf in sheep's clothing or the wolf in wolf's clothing or whatever we're trying to find and arguing with people and getting people to think the way we think and see the way we see. And if they don't, then divide, 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 right? That instead of that, what if we truly were the church and we walked out of these doors and the thing on our heart was to love and love well? What if the gospel's so simple that Jesus said all of the law is satisfied in this one commandment? Love the Lord your God with everything you are. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What if the church put down our sticks and stones and just started to restore other people's faith in God and humanity by being acts of kindness and love to our neighbors. What if we did this? What if we just love God with everything when we don't know what's going on? Because that's where the rubber meets the road right there, right? If you know what's going on and you're on the mountaintop, it's easy. You can, uh, hey, it's awesome. We're dancing up front. But I'm talking like you don't know what's going on. You're scared. Everything feels like it's going the wrong direction. You're like, Jesus, where are you? And we love the Lord our God with everything we are in those, in those moments. Right now, love the Lord your God with everything you are. And then we follow that with the second commandment that's just like the first one. So if it's just like the first one, that means when I do this one, it's the same as me loving him with everything I am. I love my neighbor as I love myself. I love my neighbor in the same way that I would love myself. Why? Because if something happens, there's this thing called self-preservation that kicks in to try to keep you alive, right? And, and so it's saying do the same for your neighbor. Like don't just think of yourself. Think of the person next to you. Like think of yourself less and think of the people around you more. So look, put down your phone, put it in the trunk and become aware. And all of a sudden you see that people around you are hurting. People around you are scared. People around you are unsure. People around you are confused. And we can join in with that and, and just fully embrace scared and confused and hurt and questioning and all those things. And we can just join the crowd and then everybody's screaming. Or we can focus on him, who he is, his love, let it wash over us, and then take that love out and point it towards the people around us. Like, I'm, this is going to be very simple this morning. So don't think, hey, where are we going with this message? This is where we're going. We've already come to the point that we're going to, and I'm just going to keep, like Chris said, kicking a dead horse or beating a dead horse or something's happening to this horse, and it's going to keep <laughs> happening for a little bit of time here. It's already dead. It's already dead, the horse. Well, then it's not going to get hurt anymore. Let's just keep beating it and see where this message goes. That's the way I think. Is that bad? Well, you love horses, so that's offensive to you, but just love me anyway. <laughs> Everybody, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, you know that one? That's a good one. And we're going to skip all the way down to verse... 43. Because love your neighbor as yourself sounds very Christianly, and it is. 
But it doesn't stop there. And this is what will close the Facebook divide. This is, at least in your own life, this is what will grow compassion in your heart for people. This is what will uh, ends anger inside of you. This, this is, I, I'm completely against Roundup and glyphosate, but this right here is glyphosate to the root of bitterness that could grow in you and defile many. Like this is the killer of negativity, and it's this verse right here. So let's read this together. <clears throat> verse 43. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. The tax collectors get the short end right here, right? Like, he's just like, even they do that. Jesus, that's, that's funny to me. Whatever, it's not everybody thinks that's funny. <laughs> Poor tax collectors, they're just trying to collect tax. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he says, it is said, love your brother. But I would say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Do you know the thing about having an enemy? You can only successfully have an enemy as long as you're against them. Otherwise, one person has the enemy and the other person is just loving. Right? So as long as I'm against the person, then they're my enemy. But if I start to love and pray for a person who's persecuting me or hating me, all of a sudden it distinguishes it like a fire extinguisher. It, it completely puts out the fire that I have towards that person. It begins to grow compassion in my heart. Listen to me. If you are hardened towards the people around you, then the greatest way to grow compassion in you and change that feeling in you that's eating at you is to begin to ask Jesus, give me eyes of love for this person and start to pray for them. It is really hard to have a prayer list for people that you don't like unless you're holding on to a prayer list that sounds like God changed them. God make them more godly like me. God show them the error of their way. God show them that they're evil and wicked. God show them where they've gone astray. No, we're talking about pray for them like this. Jesus, I bless them. God, I pray that your blessing and your favor and your increase would pour out on them like a flood. God, bring them to a place of knowing your love through your swift action in their life. Action that looks like blessing and favor. Action that looks like love. Action that looks like mercy that triumphs over any judgment, God. Bring them into a knowing of you through love and kindness, God. Lord, it says in the Bible that your kindness leads us to repentance. God, let their life be marked with repentance that was led by kindness, Lord, because you are kind and you are good and you love them. God, Give me a heart to love them the way you love them. We start to saw Why? Because at the end of the day, we start to realize they're not the problem if I have anger. The position of my heart is probably the problem. And as I begin to pray for my enemies, as my father would do, like as I, as I begin to look like my father by loving the people that are not loving towards me, I start to get perfected in love. Like it talks about, it says be perfect like your father who's perfect. You're like, dear Lord, that's a high bar. It is a high bar when we feel like it's all up to our works. 
But when we can lay down our anger and start to follow the teaching of Jesus, and we start to pray for people we don't agree with, instead of making a mass divide, right? Republican or Democrat. And then you start calling them Democrats. And they start calling you Stupublicans. I don't know what they call it. I, I, I've only heard one side, so it's kind of like shows where I need to maybe read more. I don't know. But you, so we start to divide. And everything is bait to divide right now. Everything's bait. Chris talked about a lure, right? In fishing, the lure. And, and, and you, you just keep changing the lure until he finds what you bite on. Everything's bait for division right now. So what if the church truly was a city set on a hill that could not be hidden? Do you know how you're not hidden? Because you stick out. You don't blend in. Do you know how you become hidden? Do what everybody's doing. If I walk like a duck and quack like a duck, everybody will think I'm a duck and nobody, I won't stick out. No, you are not meant to blend in. That's the thing. You are marked for greatness. And your greatness is found in love and compassion for the people around you. Your greatness isn't found in you. I found my calling and it's amazing. Right? Like that's all good. But your greatness isn't found in like what you've, like this high reaching place that you feel like the Lord has called me to be, you know, this to all men on earth. Yes, he's called you to serve all men on earth. The children of Israel expected a savior riding on a white charger to come in with a sword and an army of fiery angels and just slay the government and come in and sit on the throne. And Jesus came as a servant to everyone. He came as a lamb walking slowly through life to his own slaughter. Yeah, knowingly. Yeah, knowingly. And then he says, be like me. And you're like, Yes, I'm going to show up on a white charger with a sword, and we're going to slay the government, and I'm going to sit in the Oval Office and tell everyone, no, why do we do this? How do we do this? We're good at it, too. We're like, choose your own adventure. That's the Bible. No, it's not. There's one adventure. He leads, and we get in the trunk and close it. We are not called... To be a voice of judgment in times of tribulation and trouble. We're just not. We are not. You are not the judge. In fact, that's far too great of a seat for you to sit in. The judgment chair is not built for you. You cannot fill the shoes. You cannot bear the weight. And you don't have enough uh, wisdom to really have solid judgment. Because you are an emotional being. So much of the time ruled by emotion because something didn't line up with how I felt or I thought or I said or I, 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 right? <laughs> we don't have what it takes to be the judge of mankind. And you can't tell me that we do. But we do have what it takes to be disciples of Jesus. We do have what it takes to surrender all to him and then become like him. Not to be conformed by the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we start to see him more and more. Glory to glory and faith to faith. We start to grow into the image of the one who created us. We start to walk in love the way that he would walk in love. We start to have compassion stirred. Jesus, perfect, comes to the earth, meets the woman at the well, and compassion is what motivated him in the conversation. 
Jesus, perfect, walks, walking past imperfect people. And compassion is what made him stop for the one. Compassion is what drove him from village to village. Even when they didn't accept him. Even when they're like, oh, isn't that Jesus? Oh, yeah. And, and what did he do? Next day, he's on to the next place. Why? Because he had a mission from heaven, and it was to be loved to this world. For God so loved the world. That's why he was sent. He knew why he was sent. Do you want to know why we were sent? For God so loved the world that he sent you. For a time such as this, to be a sign of heaven to everyone around you, even... The ones who don't agree with you. Because anyone can love their brother. Anyone can love their neighbor who's like them. But it takes real Jesus followers to love the one who persecutes them. To love the one who's against them. To love the one who fires, you know, flaming arrows at you. And you're just, like, to the point where he said, if someone slaps you on your left cheek, give them the right one. And I'm like, yeah, because it's a, you know, <laughs> whack, Bam, there's my right cheek, you know, like they got to see it. No, that's not what he's saying. We're to be gentle as doves. A sign of love. They will know you for the love you have for each other. It doesn't stop there. Because he said, you know, it is said, and you know this, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for them. Can I be honest without this being too political? Uh, I've started this week, like, okay, not, uh, yeah. I've started this week actually having compassion for and praying for our president rather than just praying for our president. I think that prayers without compassion are empty. I think they're just to satisfy our own need to feel like we're doing the right thing. But I don't think they actually possess any kind of power. And I'm... Hear me out here. I'm not sure they're filling any incense bowls in heaven. <laughs> We're supposed to pray for our leaders, so that's what we'll do. Listen to me. You, you'll do for love what you'll never do for duty. Duty doesn't, just doesn't, duty just doesn't reach it, right? Don't fake it till you make it. Face it. Like, face it till you make it, right? Don't fake it till you make it. I'm just going to pray for them. My heart doesn't line up, but my mouth will keep saying it until my heart follows. Well, your mouth isn't a good leader. Your heart is. You let your mouth lead, you end up saying things. You know, my mom used to say, you're going to write a check that your butt can't cash. <laughs> your mouth's going to write a check that your butt can't cash. Why? Because your mouth's leading, right? Just shut this thing. And let's start to tap back into the heart. This is the thing. It's easy to jump on the bandwagons. It's easy to judge. It really is easy to judge when you're not attached to it. The price is more expensive. We just don't see the price, right? We're just taking it out on credit. It's easy to judge. It's hard to love. And that's why we're called to it. The Christian life is not the easy road. It's not the, easy, it's not the wide path. It's a skinny one. Why is that? Because he's telling you, this path is harder to walk on. It's harder to stay on this one. Jesus didn't come to show how wide the path was. Jesus came to show this is how you live. And as we start to stir up compassion for people, I believe that we start to be the true church. As we, as we get more intentional, that's why I was talking about love languages. You have to be intentional when you know someone's love language. You have to be intentional. Because I would just, hey, honey, you know, like... 3% touch love language, 3%. Not that it's not there, but 3%, 3%.
So me just hugging my wife all the time isn't going to, it's not intentional on my part. I'm just loving people the way that I receive love. I'm not being intentional at all. I'm just kind of like giving what I, I you know, this, it takes no intentionality on my part. It takes no thought on my part. It takes no me getting out of myself. It's just me loving me. But when I can see her love languages, this is what I did. When my family took the love languages test, check this out. And you're right here. Can I show you? Oh, man. There it is. Lacey, Oren, Judah, Ava, and Jenna. All of their love languages is in my phone. You know why? Because I'll forget and just go to what works for me. And as I'm hugging everybody, I'm just loving myself, right? But when I look, I have this thing in front of me, and it's my cheat sheet, and I'm like, remember this. You know, like, then I start to be intentional and love the people around me the way that they receive love. Listen to me. So many people have lost faith in humanity right now. They think everything's bad, and it's just not true. Everything's bad if you feed off bad news. So true. But I'll tell you this. Humanity, we have so much more in common than we have differences. We really do. Even the person that vehemently disagrees with you on everything and, and sounds like they're, they're gonna, they want to kill you over Facebook, you have more in common with them than you have differences. We've just been fed the truth lie that differences is what we need to focus on and separate from the people who don't look, act, and talk like us. It's full-on baloney. We are meant to restore we are meant to reconcile. Like, we are meant to be the bridge. We are meant to be love and compassion. And that just doesn't happen in separation. You are not rich enough to write somebody else off in your life. You don't have that much money in the grace bank or the mercy bank or the whatever it is, the judgment bank. We just don't have that much in the account. We are called to be a hand that reaches out and picks people up. We are called to be arms that hug. And t like be all things to all people. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. We are called to be a sign of heaven by being people who walk in compassion. See, I just keep beating this horse and beating it because this is who we're called to be. What would it look like for us to be intentional about growing compassion in our life for the people around us? What would it look like if we walked into the grocery store, yes, with a grocery list, but my motivation is how can I be a help to the people around me even when I'm in the grocery store? You know what, I, I have this thing in me, it's always been in me, and, and I've, I've just started to love it. If people don't like me, then I, it just feels like a challenge. And so everywhere we've lived... Everywhere we've lived, I've had a neighbor who just d doesn't know me but doesn't want to have anything to do with me, will not wave, and Lacey watches it happen. Every day I will slowly break down their wall, and I will love them, and I will wave, and I will stop in front of their house as they sit on their porch not waving, and I'll just wave really big. And then if they don't wave, I'll roll down the window, hi, how are you? I'm Scott, your neighbor, you know, and she's watched as each time we've lived a place, I've won those people over. What if our life and the energy of our life and the intentionality of our life was to win the people over around us, not for our own end, but for them to see, first of all, that Christians aren't all judgmental. Woo! 
Second of all, they, they can still have faith in humanity because people are still good. Third of all, they see the Father when they see me. They see the Father when they see you. And actions, my mama always told me, speak louder than words, right? So I can tell them all day long that I love them. But when my actions are the thing that preaches the message, they'll begin to see the kingdom through your life. What if we overtly and covertly, depending on the situation, just began to be a bridge that grabbed a hold of people's hands on different sides of the aisle? What if we started to be a bridge that grabbed a hold of people's hands in racial things, in political things, in religious things? What if we truly were the church? Because this is what we're called to. We are called to be compassion on this earth. We are called to be a light. We are called to be salt. We are called to be love. We are called to be mercy. I've said it a bunch of times. I'll end with this. I think I'm supposed to be done. Yep, I'm supposed to be done. Jesus modeled it well when he walked the earth. And he put a massive exclamation point on the end of what he modeled well when he hung on the cross. He was hanging on the cross. You know, spikes driven through. He had been whipped and beaten. Just a horrific sight. I mean, if you've watched The Passion of the Christ, that's what Hollywood can do to try to depict what he looked like. The, the skin was missing from his back. It wasn't cut. It was missing. Oh. He goes to the cross, whipped and beaten, spit on. People came to watch as a show. It was a show. They were being entertained by his death. Throwing rocks, mocking, laughing, spitting. They're, they're literally rolling dice or casting lots or whatever for his, his one-piece robe. It had no seams in it, right? It was so awesome. And as he's dying, they're seeing who gets his clothes. And what is his final judgment to the earth? He could have been like, wipe them out, God. It's right. They can't be saved. These people are wicked and evil. They deserve wrath. They deserve fire. Look at them. His final judgment was this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They just don't get it is what he was saying. They don't understand yet, God. He had compassion for them, which wiped out the need for, for a, a judgment that looked like wiping them out. Because he had every right. The one who sits in the judgment seat had every right to judge them harshly. But his final judgment, as his body laid there in ruins, torn, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And somehow we think our job is to correct and neglect the people that don't agree with us. And I would just encourage this church, what if we put on compassion? What if we cultivated love? Because love is harder. It takes work. You don't just become perfect at it. You have to walk the walk and talk the talk. You have to put yourself in places where your love is spit on and beat 
and the flesh is ripped off the back of your love, and you're bleeding, and people are literally betting on who gets your clothes. You have to put yourself in positions where it's not comfortable. You have to put yourself around people who will spit and hate you and still love them, and that's where love is perfected. Otherwise, you're just loving your brother the same way the tax collectors do because your brother looks and acts and thinks like you, and that's easy. The hard part, which convicts everything inside of me, is loving the people that are exactly opposite of me, who would fire at me, who would falsely accuse me. It all says it in here. Keep reading in Romans, what Lacey was talking about. Read in Matthew, read in Mark, read in Luke, read in John. You'll see it. We are called to be compassion, and it's a hard road, and it's not easy. It takes real intentionality, and it takes some serious work to keep yourself there. And if you find yourself falling off the compassion road, pick yourself back up, step back over and go, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to keep going. Will you stand with me? You have something against somebody? Forgive them. And then ask them for forgiveness for your actions. Instead of telling them all the things they need to apologize for, ask them, will they forgive you for your part in it? You have a massive chasm between you and someone else? Well, if it's not viable to have an audible conversation, write a letter. And in that letter, let love shine. And let compassion shine. You have a neighbor who you guys just don't see eye to eye? Well, win them over with love. If we would have kept reading, it says it's like, it's like dumping coals on their head when you love your enemy and feed them when they're hungry. It's like dumping coals. I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to dump coals on anybody's head, but I think that's part of like loving people is all of a sudden you don't want the last part of the verse to happen because all of a sudden you have compassion for them. You're not judging them anymore, you know. You no longer have an enemy because it's hard to love an enemy for too long before they become someone who you really care about. So Jesus, teach us what it is to be love. God, show us what it is to walk in what you called the greatest two commandments, to love you with everything that we are and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. God, show us what it is to be a people of care and compassion. God, show us how easy it is. It's little acts of kindness. It's little acts of love. It's being strength when someone needs help. It's carrying groceries for people. It's opening doors for people. Sometimes it's a simple smile and a hello. Sometimes it's sitting and having a conversation even though you don't feel like you have the time. It's taking the extra five minutes and just sitting there and having the conversation and getting to know a stranger. God, I thank you that you haven't called us to be master strategists with war and end time stuff. God, I thank you that you'll take care of those things. God, that you've called us to be heaven on earth.